Let's pray. Our loving Father in heaven, we thank you for how you have been with us throughout this Sabbath day. We give glory to your name for your goodness and your mercy, your love and kindness towards us. We thank you for the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat. Thank you for your watch care over us in our going out and our coming in. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, touching our hearts and conforming us to the image of Jesus. We thank you for the work you are doing in the most holy place on our behalf. All these agencies that has been put in place to help us, we appreciate them. And we acknowledge your goodness and we say all glory, praise, honor, adoration be unto your name now and forevermore. Our Father in heaven, it's your children who are seated here. And we all want to receive blessings from you now. You have pronounced a blessing on those who gather together to listen to your word. But I pray, Lord, that you would grant me your spirit. Put your words in my mouth and help that all who are listening will be blessed by the things they hear. Teach us the truth as it is in Jesus. I consecrate myself to your care, O Lord. And everyone who is here also grant us all of your Holy Spirit, O Lord, that we may be blessed. Thank you for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Happy Sabbath, everybody. Today we are still going to look at another aspect of the third angel's message. The third angel's message, of course, is in Revelation 14, when you read from verse 9 to 12. Our focus is in verse 12, because we know that verse 12 of the third angel's message is referring to who? The Seventh-day Adventist Church. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. So, that description there, those who keep the commandments of God, is referring to people who recognize all of God's commandments, and not some of them, but what? All. The rest of the world recognize some of it and neglect the Sabbath. But as Seventh-day Adventists, God called us to also recognize what? The Sabbath, that is including the other nine commandments. Keep the commandments of God. And then the next thing, they have the faith of Jesus. Now, to have this faith of Jesus is what I really want us to discuss today. Having this faith of Jesus, the purpose of all this thing is what we have as our topic today, which is the perfecting of the saints. So what's our topic? The perfecting of the saints. The purpose for the third angel's message is for God to develop a people who will reflect the image of Jesus how much? Fully. That is, they will have the character of Jesus Christ. God, Jesus said, as your faith is, so be it unto you. Some people think that it is impossible to have the character of Jesus Christ. But the Bible teaches that it is possible. Jesus is called the Son of God. And in 1 John 3 verse 1, we are told, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called what? Sons of God. And what is Jesus called? Son of God. That's why John said, Behold, what manner of love. Simply saying, Behold, what manner of love that God will elevate us to be in the same level as who? 
Jesus Christ his son. If not, he will not exclaim, behold, what manner of love. The reason he exclaimed is because he understands God's plan to bring us to the same level as his son, Jesus. And Jesus said, it's enough for the servants to be what? Like his master. Before we go into that, it was unfortunate that yesterday we heard of the death of Brother Victor, right? Brother Victor, I think he's the first elder son, if I'm right. You know, he's someone that I don't really know him. But the first day we started, the first day we came here and we preached on the role of Seventh-day Adventists in this world. He, he called Brogodson and told him, let me just show you what he said. That's, oh, it's not very clear. That's the WhatsApp chat between Brogodson and who? Bro Victor. He says there, God bless you and your colleague. Your efforts in bringing souls nearer to Christ. Honestly, I was baptized in 2014 or 2015. But I really repented on 8 May, the first time you people came. That was when the Holy Spirit showed me clearly. Praise God. He later corrected, he said, on 9th, not 8th. That was 9th of me when we first had, when we had the first message here. Later, he would send this message to Brother Godson, saying, on that day, I repented. As they continued to chat, he told him, I'm studying Desire of Ages. And that's what he's trying to study to learn, of course, the character of who? Jesus Christ. He's gone now. But we are still here. And by God's grace, I want to hope that we will meet him if we make it. We hope that we will meet him. But the reason I'm sharing this with you is for us to understand that, first of all, as young people, he was a young person also, we, we do, you don't have to think that this world is what is before you. And I will certainly see tomorrow. As for him, he made the right choice. He made the right choice. And from what I've heard, he was always someone who was interested in godly things, right? And not just that he was interested, on this day, he gave this testimony and said, I'm turning a new leaf. I know they had other conversations where he said that from henceforth, this is what he's going to try to do. He's going to try to make changes here and there in his life. And he was doing it. And he was making these changes. And until he died, but I'm saying, thank God. Thank God that before his death, by the grace of God, based on what I know, at least the information I'm privy to, that is open to me, is that he gave this testimony about his own life. What testimony will you give about your own life as these messages have been coming to us? If anybody told me that he would die, I wouldn't believe it. I used to tell God, call him, call him, call him, make sure you are following him. And so sometimes you chat him up and then try to keep him. You have discussions. Little did we know that he was going to die. I don't think we should pity him. I think we should pity ourselves. Because he made the right choice. But you who are alive, me who am alive, there's still a chance that I can make a mistake. Isn't it so? He has finished his race. 
He has finished his race. But mine has not finished. And the devil is still fighting me. And he's still fighting you too. Wanting to see that you give up your faith. Now, this message that we're going to go through today, which is the perfecting of the saints, the school of Christ, is something that since last Sabbath, we already prepared that this was what we're going to talk about. It's not because of what has happened. We have already been preparing that this is what we will talk about. The perfecting of the saints. And it's just, it's perfect for the present situation. When you are, when you give your life to Christ, you enter into the school of Christ. And in the school of Christ, he says to us, like you see in Matthew 11, learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest. We are to enter the school of Christ to learn from him. What are we learning from him now? Meekness and lowliness. Redemption is that process by which the soul is trained for heaven. This training means a knowledge of Christ. It means emancipation from what? Ideas. Emancipation, that is freedom from what? Ideas, habits and practices that have been gained in the school of the prince of darkness. The soul must be delivered from all that is opposed to loyalty to God. We are to enter into the school of who? Christ. And what it means is that we are going to learn from who? Christ. His meekness, his lowliness. But what is involved is that the former ideas we used to have, what's going to happen to them? We'll throw them away. We have to throw away our former ideas and we have to also throw away our former habits and practices and learn Christ's idea first of all because we are going to be seeing different ideas which we did not learn from christ and we are going to hear from christ and adopt his own idea that's what we'll be looking at because that's how he perfects us to make us become like him what i read before was in desire of ages said jesus to his disciple learn of me for i am meek and lowly in heart i would plead with those who have accepted the position of teachers elders any of us to first become what? Humble learners. And ever to remain as pupils in the school of Christ. To receive from the master lessons of meekness and lowliness of heart. Humility of spirit combined with earnest activity will result in the salvation of souls so dearly purchased by the blood of Christ. So this is what Christ is telling us. There's nobody that is above this school. Whether you are an old man, whether you are an elder, whether you are a teacher, whether you are a deacon or a pastor, you cannot graduate from this school of Christ. You must learn from him. There is no graduation from the school of Christ. Manuscript releases volume 9, page 370, paragraph 3. The previous one was in Lift Him Up. I can't remember the page now. There is no graduation from the school of Christ. Throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity, Christians will be learners in this school not throughout our stay on earth but even where eternity we will continue to be learners in the school of christ for eternity that is how high god's wisdom and his knowledge and his holiness is we will never be able to reach it at the end of the day because we will keep what learning for billions and trillions of years we'll be learning of christ so 
Christ has different schools. He has different schools that he uses to teach us. For example, one of the schools is marriage. One of the schools is what? Marriage. Child Guidance, page 72, paragraph 3 says, Parents should be constant what? Learners in the school of Christ. They need freshness and power that with the simplicity of Christ, they may teach the younger members of God's family the knowledge of his will. Adventist Home, page 105, says, To gain a proper understanding of the marriage relation is the work of what? A lifetime. So, those who are married, is it not true? Are you not still understanding your spouse and understanding what it means to be a father or understanding what it means to be a mother? Is it not so? So that's why it says here, to gain a proper understanding of the marriage relation is the work of a lifetime. Those who marry enter a school. And who is the owner of this school? Christ. They enter a school from which they are never in this life to be graduated. What did we see before? That there's a school we don't graduate from. What school was that? The school of Christ. And marriage now is a school that you don't also graduate from. It is just one aspect of the school of Christ. However carefully and wisely marriage may have been entered into, few couples are completely united when the marriage ceremony is performed. The real union of the two in wedlock is the work of what? The after years. That means many years later is when they will really be what? United. It's not immediately. So it's good to know this so that you are not disappointed when you find out that You've gotten married five years, ten years. Me and my wife are still having some, some issues. Don't worry. That's how it is. It says here that it's many years later that that unity will come to be. It doesn't mean that there will not be happiness. So, talking of marriage, now what are the kind of lessons we learn in marriage? We learn lessons of forgiveness. Isn't it so? Patience. Isn't it so? Trust. We learn lessons of self-sacrificing love. You see, just like Jesus and God did in creating man, just like giving birth to children, is it that they needed the angels? Did God need them? Did he need us? He just brought them to come and share in the what? In the joy of life. Not that God needed angels, but that he needed us. So also in marriage, you find out that parents choose to give birth to children not because they need them. Some think they need them actually for continuing their name. But it's not as if you really needed them, but it's just to come and share in the what? In the joy of the home. Isn't it not so? That's just, you see that in that marriage, Christ is trying to make you to become like himself. And when someone offends, that is very close to you because the closest person is you, to anybody is your spouse. Isn't it not so? It should be. If it's not your spouse, then that's very strange. Because your spouse is supposed to be the closest person to you. And when the closest person to you hurts you, how does it feel? It feels worse than any other person hurting you, isn't it so? But when you remember that Christ brought us closest to himself, and yet we are the ones that did what? Crucified him. What did he do after we crucified him? Did he forgive? He forgave. So the husband or the wife will also learn what? Forgiveness. Just as Christ did what? Forgive. And then when you see your child, your daughter, perhaps gets pregnant. We are children of God, isn't it so? And did we embarrass him too? Are we still embarrassing God? 
Does he forgive us? So when your child does the same thing, you now understand what God is what is passing through. And when you remember that he forgave you, what will you do to your child? You forgive your child too. Whether male or female, no matter how bad what they did is, even if they have not yet changed, what do you do? Just as we also, God allows the sun to shine on us, isn't it so? Even when we are wicked, he lets the rain to fall on us. As a parent, you still do your responsibility. And as a child, even if your father is the worst person or your mother is the worst person, you still perform your responsibility to your parents, regardless of how bad they are. In this relationship, God is bringing us into his school so that we can understand how to become like him. He needs to bring us through these experiences. And it's through these experiences that we learn to become like Christ. But I, perhaps the one other bigger school of Christ, which is also interwoven with marriage and outside marriage too, is trials. It's not true. Your sufferings, your sickness, all those things are part of what? The school of Christ. And he has a purpose in bringing them to us. And you see, in this school of Christ called trials and afflictions or suffering, it's one school that we misunderstand a lot. And I want to remind us of what we read earlier. That in the school of Christ, it means emancipation or freedom. Freedom from what? But your former what? Ideas and also your habits and practices. You now have to learn Jesus' idea his habits, and his practices. So, what does God want to achieve when he brings suffering to us? Let's open to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. What does God want to achieve with suffering? Hebrews 5. We'll be reading verse 8. Hebrews 5 verse 8 and 9 says, Though he were a son, Yet lend he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made, what? Perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Two things we see here. Through the things Jesus suffered, he learned what? Obedience and he was made what? Perfect. So when God wants to make you to become like Christ, what will he do to you? Eh? How did Christ learn to be obedient and to get perfect? Through his sufferings, isn't it so? So if you have to become like Christ, what will happen to you? You have to pass through the same sufferings. Because that's the only way you will learn obedience and become perfect. These sufferings are diverse. Sickness, death, misfortune, poverty. They are all sufferings, isn't it so? How about prosperity? Is it a suffering? Many of us will say no. But Jesus said that it is harder for, it is easier for the a camel, that's like a big rope, to enter into the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. The rich man may think that he's enjoying, but he has great what? Responsibility. That may stop him from making it to the kingdom of God. All of them are different schools that God brings to us. Whether it is sickness, poverty, or um, affliction, misfortunes, 
all of them are sufferings. And if you must be perfect, when you have accepted Christ, what are you now going to expect? Suffering. So that you can be made perfect and learn obedience. Let's also read James. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And many of us don't want to suffer. But you see now that our idea, you have to be emancipated for your false ideas, which is that when I accept Christ, what's going to happen? Prosperity. But if you must be like Christ from what we are reading, when you accept him and he wants to perfect you, what's he going to bring to you? Suffering. So let's, let that be the first idea that we're emancipated from. We are free from that idea that coming to Christ means what? A rosy, as in smooth road. Everything will just be smooth in my life. That's not true. That's not true. That's, you're not, now you have to learn from Christ. And what he's saying is, if you come to him, there is what? Suffering. James chapter 1 from verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh what? Patience. Here is the patience of the saints. For them to be patient, they have to have their faith what? Tried. Verse 4. But let patience have her what? Perfect work. That ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Before you can learn patience, there has to be trials. And when you, the trials come, then you learn patience, and then patience will have her perfect work to make you what? Perfect. That's what it says here. That you may be perfect and entire, wanting. That is lacking nothing. Every, you'll be symmetrical as a Christian. You are not unbalanced. You are not one-sided. You, have, you are getting everything right. For you to get everything right, God has to put you through this suffering. So God makes us perfect through trials. So how do we get protected? Because when we are in this school, it doesn't mean that everything is all going to be terrible all the way. No, that's not what it means. God still has promises of protection to us. It's not so. But sometimes he just has to take us through these different schools just to perfect us. And we don't remain there all the while. So he, when we pass the test, what happens? He takes us out, gives up, brings us into another school or another experience and continues to perfect us continually like that. So how do we get protected? I remember, I think as we were getting ready, I heard Elder talking about Deuteronomy 28. I think you mentioned Deuteronomy 28. What's in Deuteronomy 28? The blessings and the curses. And God has said that if you do what I ask you to do, I will do what? I will bless you. That is the school of Christ. That's his idea. That anyone who obeys him, he's going to do what? Bless. Let us read the account in Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26. Let's understand how God operates. Why we are going through this is to understand the purpose of suffering. In this Leviticus 26, God talks about how he's going to bless. In verse 2, he says, You shall keep my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, what's the condition now? If you do what? Walk. First of all, keep my Sabbath. And this one, if you walk in my what? Statutes and keep my commandments and do them. Now look at what God is going to do. Verse 4. Then I will give you rain in due season. And the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. 
and your threshing shall reach unto the vintage, and the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time, and you shall eat your bread to the full, and dwell in your land safely. And I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. You shall lie down, and what? None shall make you afraid. And I will read evil beasts out of the land. Neither shall the sword go through your land. And you shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. And five of you shall chase an hundred, and an hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. For I will have what? Respect. For God to respect you as a man. He says, for I will have respect unto you. And make you fruitful and multiply you. And establish my covenant with you. And ye shall eat old store and bring forth the old because of the new. And I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God. And ye shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt. That you should not be born men. Now, God is saying here that if we keep his commandments and keep his statutes, and he specified the Sabbath, it's not true. Keep the Sabbath. He is saying that I'm going to do all these things for you, as you just read. But I want God to speak more. I want you to hear more from God than from myself. So let's keep reading. Verse 14. But if you will not hearken unto me, I will not do all these commandments. And if you shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgment, so that you will not do all my commandments, but that you break my covenant, I also will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you what? Terror and consumption and the burning ague that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart and you shall sow your seed in vain for your enemies shall do what? Eat it. And I will set my face against you and you shall be slain before your enemies. They that hate you shall reign over you and you shall flee when none pursueth you. The Bible says the wicked runneth when no man what? Pursue it. 18. And if you will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. And I will break the pride of your power. And I will make your heaven as iron and your earth as brass. And your strength shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield her increase. Neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. And if you walk contrary unto me, and will not hearken unto me. I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, and destroy your cattle, and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. And if you will not be reformed by me by these things, but will walk contrary unto me, then will I so walk also walk contrary unto you, and will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. And when you are gathered together with your cities, I will send the pestilence among you. And you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. And when I have broken the staff of your bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven. And they shall deliver you your bread again by wit. And you shall eat and not be what? Satisfied. And if you will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury. And I, 
even I will chastise you, how many times? Seven times for your sins. And you shall eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters shall you eat. And I will destroy your high places, your carcasses, sorry, and cut down your images and cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols and my soul shall abhor you. And I will make your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries unto desolation. And I will not smell the savour of your sweet odors. And I will bring the land into desolation. And your enemies which dwell therein shall be astonished at it. And I will scatter you among the hidden. Now verse 34 says, Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbath as long as it lieth desolate. And ye be in your enemies' land, even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbaths. As long as it lieth desolate, it shall rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbaths when you dwelt upon it. Now verse 36 says something important. It says, And upon them that are left alive of you, I will send a faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. And the sound of what? A shaking leaf. The sound of a shaking leaf shall chase them, and they shall flee as fleeing from a sword. And they shall fall when none pursue it. Now in all these things I have read, the reason I have gone through it is because I want us to understand where the affliction comes from and why. Where is the affliction coming from when we read all this? Is it the devil or from God? Eh? From God to the disobedient. But why is he doing it? Is it to kill them? He wants them to be reformed, which is the same process of perfecting them. There are two major reasons, or well, I can say three, why God, why we pass through suffering. One of them is when we go astray, God will bring affliction to bring us back. The next one is just to test our faith, to bring us to a higher level than where we were before. And like in the case of the blind man, Jesus said that the reason he was blind was for the what? For the glory of God. So we are going to look at these two, the first and the second, which is the affliction that comes because of the affliction that comes because of disobedience. The affliction that comes because of disobedience and also the affliction that comes just because God wants to test us, to raise us up to his level. Now we are seeing that disobedience brings affliction, you know so. And who, who, who brings it to us? God himself. That is an idea that we should have. Many of us do not think that God can bring, bring affliction to us. Many times when we pass through suffering, we like to blame one enemy or the other, one family member or the other. But that's not the case. God himself can bring what? Affliction to us. Let us turn to the book of Psalms. Psalms, we'll be reading chapter 119. Psalms 119. Let's go to verse 65. Psalm 119 verse 65 says, Thou hast dealt well with thy servants, O Lord, according unto thy, thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Then 67. Before I was afflicted, finish it for me, I went what? Astray. 
But now have I kept thy word. So it says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. What does that mean now? David is confessing that when he was going astray, what happened? Affliction came. And when the affliction came, what happened? When the affliction came, what happened? He turned his way back. Isn't it so? So he's saying, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. We'll read now verse 71. Psalm 119 verse 71. You can read again 67. Read verse 67 and verse 71. 6, 7. To two, a wedam nala, wem ne me ihojo namama, mubua, oku onuge tamdebewuro. Onye onye dimma ka ebo na onye ne memma. Okay, verse seventy one now. Seven one. Yes. O dimma na eweda wom nala. Kamwe mota okurogini le. Seventy two. Iwu onoge dimma karia oledo na olocha na de ekotono. Amen. Now verse seventy five also. Seven five. Jehovah, ama womna ipegini lebo ezio mume, ama wukwam na obo ikwesento kwasobi ka iweda wurum nala. So David is saying here that he knows that God has afflicted him in righteousness, and it was good for him that he was what afflicted, because if God did not afflict him, what will happen? He will keep going astray. And how many of us do not think of ourselves when affliction comes? Does it not make us pray? But I want us to have the right prayer. When affliction comes, sickness, death, you lose your job or you are being threatened, don't look at any other person. Who should you look at? God. And what should you be checking? Check who? Yourself. Have you been keeping the commandments of God? Which one have I broken? Because when you don't do that, you are claiming that you are a righteous person. When you don't check yourself, oh, you say, is this person that is doing it to me? Is that person that... So you are saying now that you are the righteous man. And that is why this thing is happening, because I'm righteous. But you ought to do what? Check yourself. And if you have any sin in you, then you should know that you ought to repent from that sin. You ought to repent from that sin. So God brings affliction to reform us. Because in Leviticus 26, we saw there that he wants us to be reformed by it. So what of the idea? Remember, God wants to free us from ideas, isn't it? From our, the ideas we got in the world. Now, how about the idea that a man like me, I have magical ability to do whatever I do, and I can afflict you with sickness because of something that I did as a man. Where do we find that idea from Genesis to Revelation? Can somebody point to me one verse in the Bible that tells us that man has the ability to do some kind of divination, enchantment, in she? And then when he kills a goat, causing him, does something, I don't know how to do it, 
and that thing will really attack another person. Do we see that idea in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation? Is it, is it true that man has the ability? Is that where the affliction comes from? That's not where the affliction comes from. Those are the things that we were taught in the world. From what we are reading here, if we go astray, what will happen? God will use affliction to bring us back. It's not necessarily that your enemy will do something. But then, does Satan have power? Yes, he does. He does have power. Now, in this reading here, Christian Service or Testimonies, Volume 2, page 187, it says, This world is not the Christian's heaven, but merely the workshop of God, where we are to be fitted, fitted up to unite with sinless angels in a holy heaven. So this world is what? God's workshop. And what is he trying to do to you? He's walking you, isn't it? And shaping you into the character of the angels so that you can be with them. So we are to expect that affliction will come. So what we have been looking at now is God's word versus Satan's lies. Now what does the Bible tell us about believing a lie? Let's go to the book of Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Chapter 2, sorry. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Reading from verse 10, it says... Okay, Second Thessalonians 2, reading from verse 10 to 12. Verse 10 to 12 of Second Thessalonians. Thessalonians. To 12. To 12. No. Nebendina la ni yino. Ni na ha anaragi e hunanyan kezioku nkoma. Ka ewe soptaha ni nka. Chine kenezi te kwaraha ilusioli kenke njehe. Kaha kwere, kamin kaha kwere ogaho. Ka ewe peha ni le ipe. Bundine kwegi ezioku. Amen. Amen. So here it's saying that God will send his strong to delusion to those who do not want to believe the truth but prefer to believe a lie. Do you know that many of us could have been believing a lie concerning the affliction that comes to us? We may say that it is my grandmother or my father's people or, but can you really prove that? Are you sure you're not believing a lie in that, in that sense? But let's, let's move on. Now, I said earlier that Satan does have powers. Is it not true? He does have powers. But we'll see what happens with this Satan's power. How, how he can exercise it. So trial comes because of our sins. Now let us look at Numbers chapter 23. Numbers 23 verse 13 and then we'll read verse 17 to 21. Now in this Numbers 23, it's talking about the story of Balaam and Balak. We know that story, right? Balak hired Balaam and told Balaam to do what? Curse the children of Israel. And Balaam, Balak believed that if Balak just says with his mouth some curse and do some sacrifice, what was going to happen to Israel? 
that whatever he says, the bad things he says will happen to them. Is that not what Balak believed? Now let us see God's idea of how this thing works. So we'll read just verse 13 first. Numbers 23, verse 13. You can read. Verse 13, see, Balak, where say ya? Biko, Sorum Jene Bozon, Ebi Gesihu, Ebi Gesihuha, Nani Sotohaka, Ega Hon, Ma Ega Hon Hanile, Giko Chakwaram Ha, Steneba. Okay. So he said, Curse them again. That's what he wanted Balaam to do. But let us see what God's message was as to why he will not permit. Balaam to curse Israel. So you read now from verse 17 to 21. Ose Owe biakute ya ma le one guzona koko aja one guzona koko aja nsuroko ya ya naja nsuroko ya yana ndisi muab bela kuwesi ya Geneka Jova Kuro Owetwa Iluya Se Bilie Belak Nonokwa Ngamte Nwa Zibua Chineke Aboe Madu Nke Oge Ku Okura Oboe Kwa Wang Madu Nke Oge Lo Ra Obunai, Obunaya, Owea, Asiwo, Na, Oge, me inhe, Ma, Omei, Ma, Obo, Okuo, Oku, Ma, Omei, Yaka, Ogzosike, Le, Obo, Egozi, Agozi, Gamna, Tauro, Iwu, Ogozi, Wokwa, Apue, Kwam, Ituaria, Olegide, Olegide, Ajo Mume, Ihe, Anyani, Me, Jacob, Ohoyokwa, Mebu, Nisrael, Jehovah, Buchineke, Ya, Nonyere, Ya, Itim, Unkeze, Dekwa, Netiti, Ha, Read verse 23. Itim, Unkeze, Dekwa, Netiti, Ha, 22. 23. Chineke, Sorry. Nihina, Obuba Afa Adi Megide Jacob Iju Ase Adi Kwa Megide Israel Nambaho Da Age Kuku Banyene Jacob Banyekure Israel Ose Le Ihechineke Mewuro Amen Amen So in God's idea He says No course can come To someone who I cannot find what? Any faults with them. So, people can be doing whatever they are, whatever they are doing, anywhere. God teach, God's teaching is that if our hands are clean, what will happen? Nothing will happen to us. So, we, should, we don't have any problem with those who are doing the curse. The problem is with who? Is with me. If my hands are not clean, then that is when God will permit the curse to work. Did the curse finally work on the Israelites? If you know the story, did it finally work on them? No. Did it? 
It did work later. And what was it that caused it to work? Sin. Balaam invited them to come for what? A party with the Midianites. And they had this feast with the Midianite women and they committed adultery. And what happened after they committed adultery? God permitted, he himself allowed it. And there was a plague among the Israelites. And they were dying and dying. Until God uh, had, Moses didn't know about it of course. When Moses knew about it, he saw people dying and then they had to remedy the situation. They had to, they, no matter the prayer they made, nothing was going to work until they stopped what? The adultery. And it did not stop while one man was carrying a lady into his tent, a midnight woman into his tent and wanted to sleep with her. And what did Phinehas do? He took a spear and pierced the two of them. And the Bible says that the plague was stayed. It stopped. So you see the connection between affliction and our sins. This is how God works. He has already said it before when we read in Leviticus 26. That if we don't keep his commandments, he will permit these evil plagues to happen to us. So whenever we pass through affliction, the first thing that should come to our mind is, are my hands what? Clean. That's what should come to your mind. It is not to blame anyone. Because Satan does not have more power than God. God is the one that overrules. Whatever Satan was to do, God has to give him the permission before he can do it. So that's one example. Another example is that of Babylon. Let's see this one in Ezekiel. It is true that people do these divinations against others. And you know that these other nations like the Philistines, the Babylonians, Assyrians, did they have other gods? Yes. Did they worship their gods? They have stars, sacrifices they do to them. Yes. Do they take counsel from them? Yes. Now, these are hidden people. Before they go to make any battle against Israel, what do you expect them to do? They will go, they will go and call their gods, right? Yes. And seek help from their god. They are not going there in their own strength. They want some kind of supernatural power to come and assist them when they are fighting the Israelites. And something about anybody who wants to fight Israel, they are always afraid. Except God gives them the courage. They usually have some real incantations before they go against Israel. Why? Because of what happened in Egypt. The ten plagues. They know that Egypt is, was the strongest nation. And for the Israelites to have been liberated from them, they knew that this is no small matter. These people are strong people. Now look at what the Babylonians did before they went to attack Israel. Ezekiel 21, 21. Ezekiel chapter 21, verse 21. Ose Otoa. Nina Babylon Guzoro Nabata Ozo. Nisi Uzabuaho. Ijo ase. Ofe garere. Akokoyanile. Jo ese. Ase. Naka. Terafim. Ya. Le kwasi. Iji. Jo ase. Banyere. Jerusalem. Sorry. Le kwasi. Imeju. Anya. Naka nria. Ihe ijo ase banyere Jerusalem de Ido ihe di chiche Eji 
etipo mbidi isahe ono nogbubu nogbubu iweli olu nitimpu aga ido ihe di chiche eji etipu mbidi imegide ono zamani ile iwukota obo ihe iwu ulo aga 23 oga dekora oga ha ka ojuju ase efu nanya ha bo ndi nguworo ha ndi nguworo ha iyi di chiche ma yonwe ya nemeka echeta ajomume ka ewe jide ha ninka utwaka onyewa ijovasre nina unu emewoka Echeta ajo mumunu ni mempuhe njehenilunu ewehu mmehenile unu no mumenile unu nina emewoka echeta unu obu nobakaka agejidunu amen 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 let's let's stop there now god is saying that the king of babylon what did he do did he ogoronsi did he do some divination? Yes, before he went to fight against Israel. Israel. But God said his divination is what? Nonsense. But is he still going to conquer Jerusalem? Yes. Because God said it not because of the juju that he did. Are we understanding? Babylon cannot, you can see, whatever we are doing in Ngwa land, the juju you are doing now, it is not, it's not up to what nebuchadnezzar was doing but god said that what nebuchadnezzar did was what nonsense the only reason he is going to conquer israel is because of their sins not because there's power in what he did he caught the animal he looked into the liver he took his arrow he put it inside water and then he he felt he was doing something that he's doing something against jerusalem not knowing that the only thing is just that God has said, I am giving Jerusalem over to who? Babylon. Satan does not have that power. God has to overrule it first. And when Daniel was in Jerusalem, and Nebuchadnezzar had that dream, who gave him that dream? It was God. And he wanted to make him understand that, look, you are not as powerful as you think. And in that dream, when Daniel was interpreting it in Daniel 2, he said unto Nebuchadnezzar, thou, O king, are God of gods, a king of the world, sorry. But it is who that has given you the kingdom? God has given you the kingdom. It is not your divination. See, these things are in the Bible for us to understand. These divinations that are done by the worldly people, by the hidden, in the eyes of God, it is what? Nonsense. It is rubbish. It is only when God removes the protection that he has put around us, that they can then do something to us. It is not because they have any power in and of themselves. And even we, no matter how much we come to church and do all activities in the church, if there is still sin in our life, will, will we be protected? No. Let us look at First Samuel chapter 4 for that. First Samuel chapter 4, a very interesting story. The story of Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni and Phinehas. We know the story that Hophni and Phinehas were terrible people to the point that they were sleeping with women in the church. Isn't it also? They were sleeping with women in the church. 
And these two men, after Eli, were the next in line to be the high, high priest. Isn't it so? And they were this bad. And the Philistines were coming to fight the Israelites. Let us see what happened. We'll be reading now from verse 2. First Samuel chapter 4 from verse 2. The Philistia were don't we have no sorrow. Is the Israel Agahu were no sir? A way Tibo Israel near Rundi Philistia. How we Tibo Netiti Usurundiaga Israel, nor here in Heraka, Nundi Komiri, Nundi Israel, where Panomumi Luku. Ndio kenye Israel wesi. Nigini ka jova tibuwuro anyita. Nirundi filistia. Ka. Anyisi. Kanyisi na. Shailo. Wetara owanyi. Ibobu bantu jova. Ka owe pata. Netitiayi. Zoputanyi. No bakandi iranyi. Fo. Ndi Israel uwezi ga na shailo. Hawe sine baho. Bute ibo bandu jova. Nkoso nile nkendiaga. Onye bi netiti cherubi. Omo ndi kom elai. Abwa bo hufinea na finehas. Nonye kwara. Ibe obandu chineke ne baho. Five. Urue mbe ibe obandu jova batra na mumiliku na Israel ni le tirim okembu alawe debe ude ndi filistia we nu olitimpu aho we si genebo olu okitimpua na mumiliku ndi hebro hawe Manana ibe jova abawo na mumiliku ndi filistia wetuwa ego nina hasre chineke abawo na mumiliku aho hawese aho nadranyo nina ihe dika nka ade na mwegraga aho nadranyi Onyega na putanyi na kachi ndia dike nkuku. Ndia bochi nkewere iho titinile obula tibu ndijipt na ozara. Nain. Menu unu kunu dike brokwano ndikom. Unu ndi filistia. Ka unu hara ibru ndi hibru ndioru. Dika habu woro. Unu. Ndioru. Bruno. Ndikom. Brokwano. Bukwano. Aga. Ndiflisia we. Buaga. Ewe tibuo Israel. Hawe balaga. Ngokobla. No liku ya. Okitimu oke. Ntibu uku wedi. Oruno. Ndi komozo, ndi komozo ato, naniri nise, bundi ji uku eje, we dapu nizro. Iwe were ibe chineke, 
omundi kom ela ya boa buhofinai na finihas mukora amen eh is okay thank you amen so here we are seeing another remarkable story Hophni and Phinehas, the first time they had gone for the battle and the Israelites were killed. Now Hophni and Phinehas said, let us take what? The ark of God and go for that battle. They believed in what I would say is still some kind of superstition, presumption. Thinking that just because you have what? The ark of covenant. Then the Philistines, God will respect the ark. And because he respects the ark, they will not be killed. But what happened at the end? Is it less than before or more than before? More than before. More than before. The first time, how many people were killed? I think it says something like 4,000, right? Yeah. Then the next time, when the ark was there now, how many people were killed? About how many? 30,000 and above. What is God trying to teach us here? Isaiah 59. It is not that God's ears cannot hear. Or his eye is not what? Seeing. But what is separating us from God? Our iniquity is separating us from God. Now, when the ark was taken to the land of the Philistines, what happened there? They thought, God wanted to show them that it is not because you are strong that you conquered Israel. They placed the ark in the house of their God, Dagon. And when they came the next day, what did they see? Dagon was bowing to the ark. They raised it up and came back the next day. What happened? The hands of Dagon was cut, the legs, everything. And then what followed? Sickness all over. Em- emeralds. And then they knew that it is not because they are stronger, but God forsook Israel. They had to send back the ark. See, God knows how to vindicate his name. God is not going to say, oh, because we are Seventh-day Adventists and I don't want to embarrass myself, I will protect the Seventh-day Adventists. He knows how to still vindicate himself. But if we go against God's commandments, we leave him no choice than to afflict us so that we can come back. And I still want to emphasize again, it is not that it is enemies that are doing anything to you as we've seen in the Bible. Even when they do all their divinations and incantations like we saw in Ezekiel 21, it's not going to work because it works. It's going to work because God permitted it to work. And Jesus knew this very well. Jesus knew this very well. Now, I want to read this I'll move past this. <clears throat> okay. Now this part is God's hand of destruction. Strictly for us as Seventh-day Adventists. It says, all through the Bible, we find that a careful observance of the Sabbath is repeatedly enjoined. And God has plainly stated that those who knowingly break the Sabbath shall not prosper. Did we read it in Leviticus 26? That those who knowingly break the Sabbath shall not do what? Prosper. He who has given man six days wherein to labor to obtain a livelihood has reserved only one day to him. To him, And he looks with indignation upon those who appropriate any portion of this time to their own secular business. There are some who carry their business into the hours of the Sabbath to such an extent that they write business letters and even collect debts, pay bills, and settle accounts upon the Sabbath. But God's eyes upon them, and although they may appear for a time to do what? Prosper. He will surely do what? Visit them with judgment. He can by a word 
scatter faster than they can gather. By fire, by flood, by the tempest or the earthquake, he can cause them to lose all that they have gained by violating the Sabbath. How blind are the Christian world to their own highest interests? They could see, if they would, how the favor of God was removed from his people anciently. And they were left to be overcome by their enemies and to become a scattered and hated people because they transgressed his commands and violated his Sabbath. The Lord has not done what? Changed. Neither has he removed the sanctity from his rest day. This is Signs of the Times, April 8, 1886. I'll go on. It says, Some who claim to be giving allegiance to the law of Jehovah have even gone so far in the Sabbath desecration as to unite in partnership with those who have no respect for the Sabbath. The professed Sabbath keeper may seize his own labor on the Sabbath, but his partner continues the work. How must angels look upon this partnership? As the Sabbath observer kneels reverently before God in the house of worship, while those with whom he is united in business continue their labor, just the same as on any other day. How does heaven look upon the noise and confusion, the sound of the mechanic's axe and hammer, which ascends instead of thanksgiving, as if in defiance of his injunctions? Can the Lord regard as guiltless the man who thus unites with these transgressors? God is saying, if there's anyone here that has a business that is running now, and you are seated here in the Sabbath day, but somebody is running your business for you on the same Sabbath day, you may prosper for a while, but what will happen? He's going to do what? He's going to scatter. Because he holds you as guilty as the person who is working with you or for you. Whether it is a partnership like we are seeing here, or a servant who is working for you on the Sabbath day. And these are the things that bring affliction, at least one of them. So we need to take note of these things. Your business that you are doing on Sabbath. God is saying just for Sabbath alone. If we read the Bible, we see it over and over. How God talks about the Sabbath. It should not be desecrated. When you do that, God may leave you for a long while to prosper. But one day, he's going to do what? By a word, he can do what? Scatter everything that you have gained. By breaking the Sabbath. When we go to the schools, we tell people don't write exams on Sabbath. And they think they are going to prosper when they are writing those exams on Sabbath. But this thing is written here for everybody to do what? Here. If you keep going, yes, you pass your exams, you graduate, you get your certificate, you marry, you have children. But when the destruction, when the affliction comes, don't blame who? Your enemy. Think you can talk to God because he has told us that when we disobey him, what is he going to do? He's going to interfere, he's going to scatter. And when we have heard, when we have heard this message, and we still insist what does that mean? It's like you are like you are like Cain in defiance. I have heard this message today, and yet I will still break the Sabbath. I will still send my child to write common entrance on Sabbath. I will still go and work on Sabbath. I will still do that job interview on Sabbath. After you've heard all this, then your sin is even worse. It's worse. The idea of God is do not look outside. Look at your what? At yourself. It's not somebody else that's doing it to you. God is saying it's me. Don't stop looking elsewhere. Look at me. I am the one who is doing it to you. It's not somebody else. 
And the reason I'm doing it is because of your sins. I want to call you back. Not because God hates us. He wants to call us back. Nothing happens to us except by God's permission. And Jesus understood this. When Jesus was taken by the Pharisees, the high priests, in John 19 verse 11, he made a very remarkable statement. John 19 verse 11. When Pilate was threatening Jesus, like people can threaten us in the villages today, or your neighbors can threaten you. Do you know that I have the power to do this or that to you? If you tell Jesus something like that, let us hear his response. Now, we'll read verse 10 and 11. John 19 verse 10 and 11. 19 verse 10. Ose yamere Pilate siyan idi agoku imatayena unwenike irapogi unwekwarike ipogitegi nobe Jesus Zaraya si egaye enwike obula imegidem Obrona esimne elunyegia re ninka onyerara onyerara mnye nakagi nwere mehe karia amen Pilate was threatening Jesus and saying I have the power to crucify you and I have the power to set you free won't you talk to me because he has been asking Jesus questions and Jesus did not say one word to him. And he felt Jesus was being disrespectful. And then he made this statement to Jesus. But he aroused Jesus to say something at least. Jesus would not allow him to have that mindset. He could have still kept quiet and Pilate would still keep believing that he actually has the power to crucify Jesus or to set him free. But Jesus warned him and said, you don't have what? Any power over me except it was given to you from above. Therefore, the person that delivered me to you has the greater sin. The next passage says that from that moment, Pilate became what? Afraid. Now, is it true about you too that nobody has the power to touch you except that power was given from where? Above. Above. Is it true? It is true. Nobody can touch you except God gives that person the power to do that. Whether it is because of your sins or or he just wants to do what? Test you. Any of the two. But nobody can. Satan as Look, even if there is no human being that is your enemy. Who is your real enemy? Satan is your enemy. And he does not need any human being. Before he can touch you. He can touch you without any human agents. And even the human agents. No matter what they do. They cannot touch you. Except God gives them the permission. This is ministry of healing. Page 488 paragraph 4. It says. The Father's presence encircled Christ. And nothing befell him. That is, nothing happened to him. Except that which infinite love permitted for the blessing of the world. Here was his source of comfort. And it is for us. Should you not be comforted knowing that, yes, my son has died. Or I lost my job. Or I am sick. But my comfort is in knowing that this thing is happening to me not because somebody has finally gotten the better of me. My enemies have finally gotten me. But who is the one that has permitted it? God. And that was the source of Jesus' comfort. He knows that whatever insults anybody gave to him, whatever slap was given to him on his face, 
the spit they put on this they spat on him, the crown of thorns on his head. Who was the one that permitted it? God. And he was he was fine with it as far as it was what his father gave to him. And that is why we also, it's taking us to the next level now, apart from our sins. Even when our hands are clean, can God still permit afflictions to come? Yes, he can. And that's why we should be comforted, knowing that God is the one who is permitting it. Continuing the ministry of healing, page 489, it says, If we have a sense of the long-suffering of God towards us, we shall not be found what? Judging or accusing others. When Christ was living on earth, how surprised his associates would have been if, after becoming acquainted with him, they had heard him speak one word of accusation of fault-finding or of impatience. Let us never forget that those who love him are to represent him in character. Christ was never judging and accusing, oh, it is uh, this person that did that to me. It's my brother's people. It's my father's people. Was Jesus doing that? How would it have been if we had such record about Jesus? That one thing happened to Jesus and he said it was sent from the village. Hmm? Oh, this thing has happened. When Lazarus died, you say, hmm. It is the enemies that have caused this sickness that killed Lazarus. Eh? Did you hear him say anything like that? No. No. He was not accusing or judging anybody. He understood and we too should understand that everything happening in this world, somebody is the one that is permitting it. And who is that? God is the one permitting it. And Jesus understood this. So we've already understood, yes, Satan has power to cause accidents. Satan can do that, you know. I would have read something in the hell and why it said that even when she used to travel, it was revealed to her that Satan was always there trying to cause what? Accidents for them. To kill them. Yes, Satan does these things, but God always does what? Protects his own. And when he does not protect, we should take it as the will of God, as our trial. So sometimes trials are permitted by God to test us and to perfect our character. And a good example of that is the case of Job. Let's go to the book of Job, chapter 1. I won't read everything, but we know that Satan was in a meeting with God. And God said, Has thou seen my servant, what? Job. Perhaps God has been working with Job for many years and Job has been learning lessons. He may have gone astray sometimes and God had done what? Afflicted him and he had learned his lessons. But now he was being perfected and God was happy about it and told Satan, Has thou seen my servant Job? That there is none like him. But what did Satan say that should make us learn a lesson? He said, Is it not because you have done what? Build a hedge around him that Job is serving you. Remove that hedge and let me touch him. Then you will see that Job will not serve you. Now let's see from verse 13. Job chapter 1 from verse 13. God permitted Satan now. He says in verse 12, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he had is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now start from verse 13. Job one parting. Urue no tubochi. Mbumuyandi kum no muyandi nyum ne rihe nangu kwam manya vine. No long one ha bopara. Na onyozi biakutre jobu si. Igwehi 
na do ihe eji guwe ala ubi. Igwe nne enyinyibu na tanri na kukoha. Ndi sheba we takwa seha chireha ozokwa ha ewerewo onuma gatibwe ndi nejiregiozi nani muonwem we gbapo nani igosige mbe onye ano na ekwu onye ozo biakutira biakut onye ozo biakwarasi okunke chineke esuoneli gwe da rechapu igwewu na atro nandi na jeregiozi ripia ha nani muonwem we gbapo nani igosige mbe onya no na ekwu onye ozo obiakwara si ndi kedia doro usu ato mede made Imegide kamel. Chiriha. Ozokwa. Hawere. Onumaga. Tibwendine jeregi ozi. Nani muonwemwe bapo. Nani igosige. Mbonyano. Neku. Onyozobia kwara. Si. Omugindi kum. Na omugindi nyomne rihe. Na ngukwa manya vaini. No lawan neha Bopara Male Oki fufesri no fe Ozarabia Tie Akoko anonko lawan Uwe takwa se Umokrobia Hawe mwa Nani mwenwe mwe bapo Nani Igosige 20 Job we bilie dowa Uwe mwodaya O isi alaya, o isi, amin, kopo isi ya dana ala. O isi ala, o si, oto kambara, sinafonde mpota, oto kamgabakwa la chinebaho. Jova nyere, jova anarawukwa, ka aha jova buriha gozra gozi, emem. 22 ni ya ni le emehegi emehegi sorry ni ya ni le job emehegi osikwa na chineke mere ihenzuzu amen amen you see the experience of job is a very very strange one and it takes a perfect man, not just in character, but in understanding to go through this kind of thing. You may be perfect in keeping God's commandments, but are you perfect in understanding? Job understood something that many of us not, do not understand. And that is this. That statement he made there. Naked, I, naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked will I return. What is he trying to say there? Anything that I have, even my children, my money, I don't deserve it. It was given to me by who? God. God. So if he takes it from me, it is no big deal. You don't see him here crying. From this day on, Job moved on with his life as if nothing happened. That statement he made there. 
naked came up and he even gave glory to the name of God, thanking him for all the time he was able to give him those things. At least those years of my life was good. That's what he's saying. I thank you, Father, that you were able to even allow me to enjoy having these children for the amount of time they were around. I don't deserve them. I thank you that you were able to give me all those sheep and all those oxen. I thank you for all the house you've given to me and everything you've done for me. I don't have any complaints because I know that I am unworthy. I don't deserve them. So when it's taken away from me, I should not take it for granted and think that God has done me one evil thing. Even the good health. Because later on, Satan was permitted to what? Strike him with sickness. Sickness beyond anything we can think of. And his wife came and told him to curse God. But what did he say in verse 10? He said, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did, Job, did not Job sin with his lips. So, do we understand that we don't deserve anything from God? Do you understand that God has made your life beautiful? Not because you deserve it, but he's just being merciful to you. If you always have that in mind, when you lose something, you will say like Job, Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you didn't have, for example, a car, or any very necessary thing that was, you are, even if it's not necessary, but it's helping you in your life, you know, maybe somebody gave you a house to stay in for a while, for two years, and then the person comes to you and say, please, I need you to vacate the house. How do you react? Do you call the person names? When you do that, what are you saying? You are ungrateful. Because you did not deserve to be given that house in the first place. So when it's taken away from you, instead you are supposed to say what? Thank you for all the time that you gave it to me. I have enjoyed it so far. Even if now I may have to trek on the road or whatever, it does not matter. Those days that you gave it to me, I am grateful that you gave it to me. And that's the attitude that Job had. And God allows these persecutions and afflictions and trials to come to us in various forms. In the case of Job, he lost everything and even lost his health. And he was in this situation, but was still able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I know it's not an easy thing to do, but at least when you understand it, when that day comes, you will remember the life of Job. But the only way you can, even if you remember the life of Job, what you have to understand is the enormity of your sins. Think of your sins and ask yourself, what do I really deserve? Do I deserve to live? Ask yourself that question. If you look at your life, your past, and ask, do you deserve life? Do you deserve good health? Your children, do you deserve them? The peace you are enjoying in your family, do you really deserve it? The money that you have, do you really deserve those things? The answer to that question is what? No, you don't. You don't deserve them. The sun that is shining, do we deserve it? No. The air we are breathing, do we deserve it? No, we don't. So when all these things are taken from us, it happens between our human relationship. When people give us things, when they take it from us, if we, are, if we have been taking that thing for granted, we'll start calling them names and insulting and going around telling stories about how the person is wicked. Instead of you to talk about how good the person was to you all those while, even if the person evacuated you from your house that you were staying for two years for free, for crying out loud, you were staying there for, how, for what? 
for free. So if the person suddenly tells you, go away, are you supposed to now forget all the goodness of the person and start judging the person's case everywhere and calling the person's names? Yeah, the person may have done wrong, but that's not your business. What you should look at is what? He did me good for these two years or this time, whenever the time has been. He did me good. And in the case of um, Job, it's not as if he did any bad thing. And God was not being wicked to him too. So when God took away or permitted Satan to strike Job, Job understood just like Jesus that nothing can happen to him except what happens. God permits it. And that was why he was calm about it. But Satan sent friends to come and attack him with words. And throughout all those times, what did Job say? He said things like, though he slay me, still will I do what? Trust him. Job made statements like that. That even if God will kill him, he still does what? Trust God. But one thing you see missing in the book of Job, you don't see him talk about his family members. You don't see him say that somebody did something. But he knew that it was supernatural, isn't it so? He knew that his sickness was not normal. Is it not true? He was well aware that everything that had happened to him was not normal. His children all died in one day. All his possessions got lost in one day. Who doesn't know that that's not normal? But even though Job knew that it was not normal, do you hear him say Satan? Nothing about Satan was talked about by Job. He never mentioned the devil. All his contention was with who? God. He looked beyond Satan. He understood that Satan cannot touch him except God permits it. So he's, he has to go to the person that gave the permission and talk with him. And with us too, that's the same thing. You have no business with the devil. Because when that happens, if you think that the devil has the power to do those things to you, then you are getting into trouble. You are missing it. You are not going to pass the trial of your faith. Because it happens these days. People want to have, in the world, we, we learned the idea that people can actually do things to us. They can perform a sign or a wonder to us and it will really touch us. That's what we're told. But what we're reading in the Bible, is that true? It's not true. God has to do what? Permit it. So it is not that Satan really has the power. It is God who does what? Permit it. Now let us see that in the book of Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13. And I will relate it to some of the events that happen on a daily basis around us. Deuteronomy 13, reading from verse 1 to 4. Deuteronomy 13 from verse 1 to 4. Mbonya muma mobo oronro gebiline titigi nyegi inhiribama mobo inhebube inhiribama ahon Mobihe Bubaho, Weme, Nke Oba Urugi, Oku Banyaya, Si, Can you just watch your zone, Nazon? Nke Ona Dimbe, Emaraha, Can you fake Pa, Ha Ufufe, Egalenti, Okunya Mama, Mobo, Oronra. Ni na jova buchine kunu na wa unu ema unu ne ema u ema ma unu ne were obiunu nile nam urobiunu nile hu jova buchine kunu na anya po jova 
Bochinekunu, ka unu gane jeson na son. Yaka unu gatwebu. Ihenile onyene ni wu ka unu gedebe. Olu yaka unu gege, I mean olu yaka unu gegente. Yaka unu gefufufe. Amen. Yaka unu garapra naro. Amen. Amen. So this can be a situation where, like he says here, a prophet comes, he dreams a dream, and he tells you that this thing is going to happen, or that thing is going to happen, and the thing actually does what? Happens, and then tells you, now this is what you are going to do. Do this and this and this. What did Jesus say we should not do? Don't listen. Let me relate it now. Somebody comes to you and tells you. I'll give you a real story. Let me just give you a real story. A friend of mine, he lost his eldest brother. And they were told, do you know why this your brother died? First of all, the father. Because the father died and did not kill what they call waste goods. That's what they call it, waste goods. It's just a sacrifice you do to the gods of the land. So they said the man, the, the boy, this is my friend's father, died because the father did not do that thing. And they said the next person that will die is his first son. The first son died. And he said the next person that died is second son. He really died. And then he came to his own turn. He said, now, I was in the burial there. And they came, I was seated with him. And he said, look, all this church thing you have done here now, that's for church. This one is for the land. Go and kill the waste goods. Because the next person that will die is you. These people are representing the prophets that do what? They give a sign and tell you this thing is going to happen. And the thing does what? It happens. But God said he's doing what? He wants to do what? Test you. The person really dies after they said he will die. And now they are telling you go and kill a goat. When you kill that goat, are you serving God or another God? And God said, when they tell you go and serve another God, don't do it. I am doing what? Testing you. To see whether you love me. Because love goes beyond death. And can you die? Yes, you may die. You may die. But what did Jesus say? He that seeks to save his life, what will happen? He will lose it. Because you say, now I need to save my life by going to kill that goat. Because why do you want to go and do it now? Because the sign has come to what? pass. Two times. Three times in fact in this, in this my friend's case. Although my friend is still alive. He has not died yet. And he refused to do it. I don't know if he has done it in secret or whatever. But I know he didn't do it. Well, that's to the best of my knowledge. What are we to do in such situations? Should we say now that because I can see that the land, the God of the land is killing my family members, I have to go and kill the waste goods? Is that what we should do? No. What is the Bible teaching us? Let them kill us if that's the case. He that seeks to save his life will do what? Lose it. And he that tries to lose his life for the sake of who? Christ. He will do what? Save it. But remember that it is not because these people have the power. Even here God said it that he permitted it to do what? Test you. The prophet's dream came to pass. Why? Because God is trying to do what? Test you. We face these situations around us as Seventh-day Adventists. Some of us want to leave the church. You say, Adventists, we don't have power. Adventists, we don't do this. Adventists, we don't do that. Now you want to go to all those Pentecostal churches to go and get miracle. You want to go and get signs and wonders. And sometimes some bad things happen in the family. And then they tell you in the village that, look, this sickness will not go away until we take you to so-so place. 
Or your daughter's sickness will not go until we take you to this place. We need to go and do that. Your father did this. Your mother did that. You, to solve the problem, you must do this. That is what is happening here. But what is God teaching us? If you love him, you will not do it. But he's not guaranteeing you that you will leave him. Hmm? There is no guarantee that he's saying you must leave. Is it not true? Because Jesus has already promised us that in this life we are going to have what? Tribulation. Is this thing not part of the tribulation? It's part of it. It's not only the, the physical ones. It's still the ones that God permits Satan to do. It's not part of tribulation. Part of the tribulation is what God permits the devil to do to us. It's part of our tribulation and we should endure it. We shouldn't say that because of it we want to save our lives and we disobey God and serve other gods. That's what God is teaching us here. So what is the purpose of all this tribulation? It is to strengthen our faith. Another kind of tribulation is poverty. Poverty. Some of us think that there is a demon that is causing poverty. And we pray against poverty, the spirit of poverty. And we want to pray it away. But what does God teach about poverty? I'm reading now. I think this should be Council on Stewardship. It says here, true generosity is frequently destroyed by prosperity and riches. Generosity is destroyed by what? Prosperity and riches. Men and women in adversity or in humble poverty will sometimes express very great love for the truth and special interest for the prosperity of the cause of God and for the salvation of their fellow men. And we tell what they would do if they only had what? Money, the means. So he say here that many of us now in poverty will say, oh, if God gives me money, I will do this for him. If only I had money, I will do that for him. That's what happens. But look at now, it says, God frequently does what? Proves them, tests them. He prospers them, blesses them in basket and in store, far beyond their expectations. But their hearts are what? deceitful. Their good intentions and promises are like the rolling sand. The more they have, the more they desire. The more they are prospered, the more eager are they for gain. Some of these who in their poverty were once even benevolent become penurious and exacting. That is, they will be dragging for 10 naira change with Kekeman. That's what it means to be penurious. Exacting means you want people to walk till they break down before you pay them their money. Testimonies, volume 1, page 482. That's where it is. Money becomes their God. They delight in the power which money gives them. In the honor they receive because of it, said the angel. So this is what is happening behind that we don't know. The angel who is watching us says, Mark ye how they stand the tests. Watch the development of character under the influence of what? Riches. Some were oppressing the needy poor and would obtain their services for what? The lowest figure. They were overbearing. Money was power to them. God's eye I saw was upon them. They were deceived. And behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. So, prosperity itself is a danger. And who else can give prosperity? Satan. Satan can give prosperity. 
Still in Testimonies, Volume 1, page 142, he says, I saw that Satan watches the peculiar, selfish, covetous temperament of some who profess the truth. You can remove the italics. Of some who profess the truth. And he will tempt them by throwing prosperity in their path. Offering them the riches of earth. He knows that if they do not overcome their natural temperament, they will stumble and fall by loving mammon, worshipping their idol. Satan's object is often accomplished. The strong love of the world overcomes or swallows up the love of the truth. The kingdoms of the world are offered to them and they eagerly grasp their treasure and they think that they are wonderfully prospered. Satan triumphs because his plan has succeeded. They have given up the love of God for the love of the world. So, Satan can also make you to do what? Prosper. So, it's not all prosperity that comes from God. And the reason he's doing it is because he knows his Bible. He has read carefully and he has seen that one of the ways to make it difficult for people to make it to the kingdom of God is by giving them what? Money. Give them. Because he knows. He believes Jesus. I don't know how many of us believe Jesus. Jesus said what? That hardly shall a rich man make it to the kingdom of God. Satan works with all this information. So, it is hard for a rich man to make it. Then, if I want people not to make it, what should I do? Make them rich. Especially those who I have seen are selfish people and covetous people. I will give them plenty money. So, because I know that now, if I give them the money, I'm securing them under my banner, they will not make it. There's more hope for the adulterer than for the covetous man. There's more hope for the harlot than for the covetous man. Because not many people preach about covetousness on the pulpit. Nobody tells people, oh, you are selfish, oh, you are covetous. Even those who are covetous don't even know it. Many of them think it is not a sin to withhold your money from God. They think it's not a sin. So they keep doing it, not knowing that in heaven, one thing is written against their names. Thou art weighed in the balances and found what? One thing is written against them. Like I said, there's more hope for those who are even in adultery than those who are covetous. It's a terrible thing for you to be covetous. So, riches sometimes comes from the devil. But even God can choose whether to prosper you in your business or not. God can choose to prosper you. Now, here it says, those who are ready and willing to invest in the cause of God will be blessed in their efforts to acquire money. God created the source of wealth. He gave the sunshine and the dew and the rain and caused vegetation to flourish. He blessed men with mental and physical ability and acquired them to and qualified them to acquire property so that his cause might be sustained by his professed children. So why does God give us money? So that we can use it for what? Evangelism. That's the reason. It's not for you to spend on yourself. Even I don't think there has been anybody who has been richer than Jesus Christ. I mean, even when he was here on this earth. He fed 5,000 people in one day. Do you know how much it is to do that? Do you know the money? Convert that bread and fish to money. And then see how much money he spent on that day. He healed people of heart disease. Do you know how much it is to do heart surgery? Eh? It's in the millions, isn't it? So? People with kidney infection. The woman who was having the issue of blood. We are told that she had visited from the desire of ages. She had visited all the hospitals until they had sapped her of all her money. Even the Bible said it. They had finished all her money. They could not cure her. But Jesus cured her. How much can she pay for that cure? All the sicknesses Jesus healed, if you were to pay him for it, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, the owner of uh, 
Amazon, the richest man in the world presently, had all their money, it will not reach what Jesus was able to do in that three and a half years. But the money Jesus had, was he spending it on himself? Even when he was hungry, did he do a miracle? Did he start spending his money now because his miracle is his money? Did he do that to feed himself? No. He followed the regular process. All the resources Jesus had, he was using it for what? For the others, for the gospel, for evangelism. That's what Jesus was using his resources for. And God blesses us with riches, not so that we can live a big man's life, but so that we can use it for what? The evangelism. God says it is him that gives us power to make wealth. Is that all he said? That's not all he said. He finished it by saying, so that you shall fulfill the covenant that I have made unto you. So money has a purpose. He gives us power to make wealth, not so we can spend on ourselves, but so that he can fulfill the covenant that he has made with us. So God can make us pass through the trial of poverty or pass through the trial of uh, persecution, sickness, and all of that. But all of it is for us to perfect character. For us to perfect character. Now it says here, means is valuable. That's money is valuable and to be desired. It's a blessing, a precious treasure if used prudently, wisely, and not abused. Since mortals have bodies and heads and hearts to be provided for, some provision for the body must be made in order to hold a proper position in the world. Not to meet the world standards. Oh, no, no, indeed. But to be of influence in the world for good. Wants, that is lack and poverty, are evils to be dreaded. But hunger and nakedness, lack of home, sympathy, or a name, even starvation, are more desirable than to sacrifice one word, principle of truth. Let the eternal truth be cherished, for it is immortal. If we make it a part of us, we shall surely gain immortal glory and eternal riches. Now, the next statement is what I want you to get. If God has not given you the power to obtain means, that is money, with perfect uprightness and integrity, then what happens? He never meant that you should have it. And it is best for you to submit to the will of God. In other words, when you have tried all the normal ways, following God's principles to get a job, to make your business prosper, you don't tell lies like other people. You don't do the evil things other people do. You don't change your date of birth. You don't change your state of origin. You don't change your local government. You follow the right process, and yet nothing is working out for you. What are you supposed to understand from there? Then God doesn't want it to be so. Accept what? The will of God. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich. Is it not so? When God blesses you, it is only when you follow his principles. And if you do follow his principles and he blesses you, then you know that it's his will for you to have it. But remember that you must still use it for the glory of God. So, if we are in poverty, take it as the way God wants things to be. But remember that we are supposed to do what? Be diligent in business. Don't be lazy. The Bible condemns laziness. The Bible says we should do what? We should walk. That's what the Bible says. We should walk and fend for your family. So, what is the purpose of trials in conclusion? Now, let's read some Bible passages to conclude. Why does God bring these trials to us? Let's see the book of Romans 12, verse 12. Romans 12, Verse 12. Our time is fast spent, so I'll just read them from here. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in 
prayer. So when we're in tribulation, how are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be patient. And God wants us to comfort others. That's another reason he brings it to us. Second Corinthians now. Second Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4. Second Corinthians 1, I'll read verse 3 and 4. It says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So when I lose my father or my mother and I go through that experience, I receive comfort from who? God. And why is he making me pass through it? So that tomorrow if I see somebody passing through a similar situation, I can also be a means to do what? Comfort that person. Because you cannot understand these things unless you do what? Pass through it. You may see someone who has lost their father or their mother and you, if it hasn't happened to you, you don't know what it means. That's the truth. You don't know what it means. You cannot enter into that person's situation. Somebody who has, his wife has left him or the husband has left him or the husband has been unfaithful. You don't know what it means. You don't know how it, it hurts. But when you are in that situation, you have to receive comfort from who? God. You shouldn't fight anybody. You should be patient in what? Tribulation. Learn to forgive. And then when you see another person in the same situation, what should you do? You also comfort that person. Because that was why God permitted you to pass through it. Let's look at Acts 14 now. Acts 14 verse 22. Acts 14 22. It says, Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that we must through much what? Tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. So if we must enter into the kingdom of God, it must be through much what? Tribulation. And the reason God is doing it is to work out patience in us, perfect our character. That's why God is doing all this. Let's see Romans 5, Romans 5 verse 3. Romans 5 verse 3. Saying, it says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh what? Patience. Back to where we started, the third angel's message. We are a people who are described as people that we, are, we have patience. You know, so here is the patience of the saints, right? Now, for us to have this patience, the Bible teaches that we must pass through what? Tribulation. And what we have seen, who is going to put us through those tribulations? God himself. He is the one that is going to put us through those tribulations. Sometimes, it's not because of our sins. We may be righteous, but because he wants to train us to become like him. Is God patient? Who has had more patience in this life than God? How long has he been patiently waiting to bring an end to the great controversy? It's been long, isn't it? So? Very long. We don't know how long he bore with Satan in heaven, but we are told in the great controversy that God bore long with Satan. Very long. Before his rebellion, his sin turned into rebellion and he came to fight against God and then God had to take him away. But God gave him a very long time to repent. 
before we now came down to the earth. Now it's 6,000 years. That's how, or approximately 6,000 years now. Or getting to 7,000. We know that God has been patient. Some of us, when we pass through one trouble or the other, immediately we want a solution. And sometimes we ask, why is it that God did not destroy Satan immediately? Because God is what? He's patient. And he wants to teach you to be patient. So that when you see bad things happening around you and things, evil people are prospering, he asks you to be what? Patient. I will deal with it. That's what he says. Go and read it in Psalms 37. God says, don't envy who? The wicked, when they are prospering. That God has set them, set trap for them. That they are going to fall later. That the wicked will consume like the fat of lambs. Psalms 37. Say, mark the wicked. They will consume. But he says, mark the righteous man. Mark the righteous man. That he says, since I was born and now I am old, I have not seen the children of the righteous beg for what? For bread. So I want us to trust God and get free from the ideas that have plagued us. Don't deal with the devil, but deal with who? With God. Everything has to do with God. It's him that permits anything that happens to us. So let that comfort us. Patiently bear whatever you're passing through. God is working out something. Check your life. If everything is right, then endure the trial you're passing through because God is trying to work out what in you? Patience. May God bless us as we do all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, loving Father, for all that you have taught us today. I commit every one of us who are here unto your care. Lord, there might be things that have been said that may have touched some people's hearts. There may be changes we need to make in our lives, in our ideas, in our habits, in our practices. As we have been convicted, Lord, I pray that you will give us the strength to make the changes, either in our ideas or our practices or our habits. Father in heaven, I pray that you will give us the strength to bear the afflictions and the sufferings that come to us. Lord, make us perfect through these sufferings. Help us, Lord, to understand the need, the reason for it, so that we don't have to go through it over and over again. Help us, Lord, to learn quickly why they come and learn the lessons you want us to get from the afflictions we pass through. Father, I commit everyone here unto your care. There might be people who are passing through serious troubles in their homes or in their lives. Lord, please visit, visit them and meet them at the point of their needs. Thank you, Father, for I know you've heard our prayers. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Amen.